You're listening to Eureka on Monocle Radio, brought to you by the team behind The Entrepreneurs, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies, and fresh ideas in global business. I'm Tom Edwards. Lily Silverton is a coach, journalist, and the founder of The Priorities Method, an approach to life and work centered around values-driven, purposeful, and intentional decision-making. It's a formula Lily developed after she took issue with traditional goal-oriented coaching's focus on prescriptive outcomes and narrowly defined success. She decided instead to work to her own blueprint, emphasising the importance of starting with defining priorities before setting goals, really demonstrating the transformative power of putting values first. Lily stopped by Midori House to talk about making her practice more accessible with the creation of her new coaching journal, and to give us some tips for success in 2024. Here is Lily with more. I have been a coach now for about six, seven years. And when you train in coaching, a lot of it is very goals focused. And that's brilliant. We all want to achieve our goals. We all want to set them. And that's fantastic. And I love them. But I coached in a very goal focused way for a long time. And the more I did it, the more that I started to feel that maybe something was amiss and it didn't sit quite right with me. And I think it was due to the idea that with goals, it's so obviously outcome orientated, right? Like, and if you don't achieve them, you feel a little bit, can I swear? Oh, you can swear with absolute alacrity. It's it's, (laughs) it's encouraged to. You can feel shit. Like, and it's really demotivating, right? So if you're really focused on the outcome and you don't achieve it, it's really demotivating. So I started to look at what I felt was more important and this idea of priorities and values just kept coming up over and over again. So I started this podcast, actually, was the first step, which is called Priorities and Interviews People About What's Important to Them. And then my idea was, you know, what's important to you is essentially how you live your life and what dictates your experiences and choices. And that sort of bled into my coaching. So I started to really reorientate things and flip the goal setting. So of course, I still do goal setting, but I really start with the values of what's important to you. What are your priorities? What do you want your life to look like? What is the process going to be like? And then setting goals at the end of that. But whether or not you achieve your goals is sort of circumstantial. That's super interesting. And I I think one thing that strikes me straight away is an increase in frequency of the appearance of notions like doing things in a more purposeful way or bringing greater, what's the word, intentionality to your sort of decision making. And I wonder, there's a bit of white noise around that. How does that work, this idea of bringing process, because it's got to have a bit of rigor, and I guess it has to be sort of trackable and chartable in some way, towards those things, which can be a little bit nebulous. How do you bring some... I, what would you call it, sort of professional discipline to getting towards those goals when they are things which even to define sometimes what's your purpose, what's your intentionality can be quite difficult. So how do you, what is the means by which that process is brought to bear on it? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. So these like lofty ideals, how do you actually <laughs> get them to work in reality? So there's lots of processes and, and coaching tools that we use throughout that. So yes, you define your why and your purpose and you get really clear on that and you're writing it down but from that and from what's important to you, you're, you're using those more lofty ideas and questions to build out a very clear map of what you want to go after. And then you set goals and you use coaching tools in order to meet them. So in the journal, for example, there's habit trackers and, you know, things to improve the week and you're writing down your priorities each week. So you're really staying on top of what's important to you, but also, as you say, like getting it done, because again, it's very nice to have ideas, but the hard bit is getting it done. And actually, that was partly the idea behind the journal. One idea was 
one aim of it is to make coaching more accessible to people because obviously I work with lots of big businesses who can afford to hire me or individuals but coaching can be quite prohibitive for a lot of people mm. for various reasons so the idea was to have a coach in your pocket kind of tool that anyone can use at their own pace and time but also an accountability buddy because it's so easy to go to a coaching workshop or have a couple of sessions with someone and write lots of goals and have lots of great ideas, especially in January, and then no one fucking does them. So, and I know that because I'm also that person. You well, know. Yeah, this is a bit like this kind of, it's, it's this sort of gym membership model of forward progress, isn't it? And talk to me a bit more about the, the journal, because obviously we were sat here in Monaco HQ. We love printed products. We have lots of favourite diary and journal makers and it is really interesting it's there's a I guess a lot of complexity that's boiled down into something quite simple and elegant which I guess is your 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 <laughs> your mo my worry would be I'm an inveterate doodler I have a bad rep mm -hmm. here in the business for doing that if for example in my joyful moments if I just filled that with doodling would that be would you would that be frowned upon I would absolutely love that oh, you so I actually say be, if, you read, if you read the intro at the beginning oh, I actually I say that, fill it in is that exactly as you like and okay. if you're a doodler fill it in with doodles you know mine is covered in coffee stains and <laughs> my kids are always picking it up and drawing in it so I'll just find like weird pictures or scribbles across it why do they do that it. yeah um, and tell me it's interesting because obviously it's done on a weekly basis but then there are kind of quarterly reviews how important is it having Lily that kind of that rigour, making a commitment that it isn't just a thing you can turn on once or do once. It's a big undertaking. Is that sometimes hard? I don't know, even talking to when you're working with clients at the start of the journey, do you sometimes think this person's going to need to need a bit of a nudge along or they're going to need to really commit if we're going to make the progress we need to make? I hope that by the time someone gets to me, they're at the point where they want to meet themselves wherever they want to go. However, yeah, I mean, it is a commitment, right? The idea with this one is whenever I'd done a journal in the past or looked at journals, they were all daily. And I absolutely, I can do that for about 10 days and then I'm never doing it so again. Like 10 days is pretty good. 10 days is pretty good. Maybe like a day or two. And it's like, oh, all you need is five minutes a day. It's like, I don't have five minutes a day and I can't keep that motivation up. So the idea with this is five minutes a week just to lay out those things. And then you do your reviews every month, which also take about five minutes. So it feels really manageable. But the whole idea is if you can just keep it open in front of you, then that's sort of enough to really remind you what's important. That's obviously after the coaching session at the beginning, which does take a little bit, bit more of time. time. And is that, are you one of those people? I mean, is that, is it fun digging around? I always sort of worry, oh, you know, what would people find if I started to share, share my anxieties, goals and ambitions and all the rest of it? But I guess, well, you know, and you have a journalistic background where kind of digging around, whether that's into people's motivations or to what's happening. That's that idea of finding those threads, those narrative threads is interesting. Is that endlessly fascinating? And do you never quite know, despite your now lots of experience, what you're going to find once you start the process? I have no idea what I'm going to find. And it's so exciting. You try to come into any session, whether it's like a big corporate one or one to one or just a casual chat with someone with no expectations or ideas. However, we all have those, right? And yeah, as you say, I've got a journalistic background, so I love finding out things about people and I love people discovering things about themselves as well because I find that a lot of people have just never thought about what's important to them or never thought what they want their days to actually look like. So my favourite thing is helping, empowering people to ask themselves those questions and find out those answers. Well, I was going to ask you a little bit about metrics for success because I guess you can get people closer to these goals, even if they are somewhat abstract. But I guess for you, professionally, personally, 
you need to have your own metrics by which you judge the success of the business, the enterprise, the integration of new ideas and approaches and so on. How, how do you calibrate those? What are those metrics that you personally work to? I'm sure people would be interested, especially those who've been kind of on the other side <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, getting the journal out is one of them. Getting the journal out was a really big one. I've always wanted to publish a book of some form and also with this was able to do the entire process myself so instead of working with a publisher which was an option I chose to do it myself so that I could print and bind it all in the UK and the cover is made of old recycled plastic that's been woven into yarn and as you say you know monocle here you're really big into print I'm also really big into print because my background in in magazines so the design and the quality of the paper all of that being able to realize that and hire almost an entire female team as well putting more economic empowerment into women's hands even my like all the way to my suppliers so that's great female teams it's it's very mm. expensive and difficult to do that yes though yes it is which i guess is the case (laughs) of point about doing stuff with purpose and intentionality you have to sometimes take the much more complicated expensive difficult road in order to get something that delivers what you need it is it's very good it's an embodiment a physical manifestation if you like (laughs) of the overall um, ambition I guess yeah I just I think if you're putting a product out into the world these days if you are able to then putting things like sustainability and regeneration at the forefront are essential Hmm. there are plenty of journals you can get on Amazon that are printed to order in China and popped over Ooh. to you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Let me um, ask you a bit about mm. when things kind of don't work out. Or It was interesting talking about things like changing the narrative and the dynamic around empowering women in business or doing things in a more sustainable way for the planet. We're in a big crisis. I guess part of how people need to deal with their commitments is to recognise that you can't even move the needle on some of these things. Mm. Things can't be perfect. You can get better. But how do you reassure people who say look I you know I still feel concerned about this or I still feel I can't get where I need to in terms of being more sustainable or climate conscious or changing this big thing how do you what are some tips I guess for people to manage disappointments or when they maybe something remains tantalizingly out of reach how do you advise people to deal with that as they're trying to constantly assess what their priorities need to be Mm, such a big question how do you deal with disappointment I think generally badly mm. <laughs> me too is that standard no but how, is, i guess it's important just to accept mm. that disappointment is also part completely of the process you don't want to prioritize it but it's gonna happen completely. and it's how you engage with it i suppose and the idea that it wouldn't is just ridiculous mm. you know the idea that you wouldn't fail or wouldn't be rejected is just a crazy idea and it's something that i think people get very attached to and very scared of and obviously the more that we build something up in our heads the more scared we get about it And then the worse we think it's going to be. And then by the time it comes, it just either is really bad and then we get over it or it is what it is. I think the thing with rejection that I always find really interesting or disappointment or failure is this idea of like what happens in the brain with that and how it all comes back to when we lived in tribes. And if we were rejected from a community or failed something, then we were dead because we weren't in that tribe anymore and we couldn't survive. So it's a very ancient primal reaction that happens. And I I guess recognizing that and knowing that your brain is doing things that your more rational brain necessarily doesn't know about. So giving it a bit of a break and giving yourself a bit of a break is always important. That's what I know I'm bad at. (laughs) A couple of things. As we're looking into 2024, say, well, I don't know, what should people prioritise? Is it just about being a bit more reflective, uh, bringing some of that different introspection, asking different questions? What were a couple of things around this time of year when I guess people are maybe doing this a bit? How could they focus that? 
that mm. moment to be more productive? I think there's a couple of things people can do that are very simple and straightforward and don't require any tools. One of them, I always bang on about this in January, but is forget about like a physical detox and think more about a mental detox. And who are the people in your life who are not working for you or you're not working for? You know, what are the relationships that are not necessarily supporting you? What are the thoughts and thought patterns that you're having that are not necessarily supporting you? And obviously that's really big work in terms of unpicking them. But even, I think, as you said earlier, just recognizing them and acknowledging them makes such a difference. What are the patterns in your life that are not serving you? So I always invite people to have that little thought. And I, I guess it is just that reflection of what's most important to me because what success looks like for various people is so different. And one of the big questions is, well, how do you want your week to look like? What do you actually want to be doing? What time ideally would you want to be getting home from work? And what steps can you take? in order to make that happen. Because obviously there are some things that are outside of our control, but there are some things which are more within our control. So mapping out where you want to assign your time and your energy, because ultimately that's your life, right? Tell me a bit about where you seek inspiration, because I guess one of the important parts of your practice and sort of discipline is making sure that you're constantly talking to other people who can reshape how you're looking at things and maybe integrating other new approaches. What does that look like? I know obviously... You talked about the podcast, you talk to interesting people and you'll just go into these interesting areas. But do you have to be quite intentional about saying, look, well, this week or this month or today, I'm going to go and challenge myself or go somewhere different or talk to somebody who I may otherwise overlook? How do you ensure you're always keeping that curiosity and that readiness, I guess, to, to get new ideas on board? Yeah, I think in an ideal world, I'm doing all those things if I've got time you know, I, 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 I am a big I am big believer in that stepping outside of my comfort zone. I know that works really well for me when I do it. So challenging myself to look at people who don't necessarily think in the same way as me, different belief structures. That's something I've been trying to do quite a lot at the moment. Talk to my kids quite a lot. My two and four year old, they seem to have some quite weird and good ideas <laughs> about how to live life, which we could all listen to. A very to. unfiltered approach, I imagine. Yeah. And that's interesting. The fact there's so much more... I don't know what you'd call it, just general white noise, you know, social media, everyone's got a view. And if people are trying to broaden their horizons, one imagines you're often burdened by just the sheer volume. How do you resist that? Because you want to retain that curiosity and that openness to different views, but you don't want to get, you don't want to be drowned by it all. Is this, again, to your point, is it is it about just being more disciplined about what you pick out and whose opinions you value, I guess? Yeah, I mean, social media is a fucking nightmare. Real just to, in reality, what, what for all just, that kind just, of stuff. Just turn it off? Is that better? Then oh, people might not... I mean, I, even I don't do that. So I well, have breaks. I mean, not, definitely why, have why breaks. Not, why not turn it off then? Because it's still... I mean, I still love seeing what some of my friends and family are up to across the world. I really do. There are some really funny accounts that I follow. So I find that, you know, on Instagram, there are a couple that really make me smile and make me feel good. And it's still good for work. Yeah. It that's is, a pretty good it, You know, people, people check it. They want to know what your platform is doing on there. It's often the first place that people will look is your social media rather than your website. So, so still, a net, still a net positive if you... Still a net positive. Yeah, mm. let's see. Let's find out in like five, ten years, a net, right? E for a all net of us. even, yeah. Right, a couple more things. Here's a question. If people, mm. if they kind of dive in, let's say that they get the journal, and I don't want to be too sort of, uh, what's the word, transactional about it, but... What do you say to people in terms of how quickly they'll feel 
that they're making progress? Or is that the wrong question to ask? I don't know. In my experience with, with coaching and through running people through the coaching process that's at the beginning, I think pe- some people who haven't done this work, especially before, can feel it within half an hour. Oh, wow. So they can do a couple That's of questions. That's bigger than I was expecting. I have, yeah. So I, I often run sort of one, two-hour workshops, which follow the priorities method and, and setting out what you want from the year. And I have people coming up to me at the end and telling me that they already feel like their life has changed or sending me emails the next day saying that they've never thought about any of that before and they have a completely different perspective on life. That was Lily Silverton, the founder of The Priorities Method and author of The Priorities Method Journal. To pick up a copy or get in touch with Lily, head to theprioritiesmethod.com. And that's it for this episode of Eureka. We'll be back at the same time next week. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer, with mixing and editing by Jack Dewars. Listen again and find out more at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club and subscribe to Monocle magazine. Or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. To write to the team, email Laura. She's on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs>